Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Hold My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Hi, and welcome to the Help My Wealth podcast, Money Rules or Money Rules. As always, we're here about empowering your financial journey. And today, I have with me Hamish Ferguson. Hamish, thank you for coming. All good, thank you. And our special guest is Lee Clothier. Lee, thank you also for coming. Thank you for having me. Lee is one of the Help Help My Wealth Experience professionals. She has authored and presented the learning module on goals for us. Uh, Lee is an award-winning financial planner and a master certified money coach, specializing in behavioral psychology of money and financial well-being. Lee, please tell us, how has your week been? Uh, pretty good, actually. It's my 40th birthday celebration, so I'm stretching it out as much as possible. Uh, you, as you should. Have you done anything exciting? I had a sparkly party on Saturday night, so that was quite exciting, and the rest of the time is just catching up with friends and family. Sparkly parties are always good, to be honest. They I don't are. think I've ever been invited to a sparkly party. Well, I <laughs> went on this weekend to a sparkly 25th where they had a glitter station. And let's we just had say, a station too. yeah. Well, there you go. And my beard looked pretty impressive, Hamish. <laughs> Not going there. <laughs> <laughs> well, please, Hamish. How about you start us off and um, and talk to Lee? Yeah, thanks, um, Steve. So, Lee, I guess let's start at the. I guess I don't know if I call it the beginning or the halfway mark or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess. It, tell us a little bit about this journey about going from financial planning to. Um, to, to, to money coach and uh, and I believe you went out with a bang winning an award is that right <laughs> I did I, th- I think there's always that thing leave on top or something yeah, like that leave yeah, while, while you're in the top <laughs> absolutely <laughs> I had a that was sort of 15 years uh, a career in financial advice and financial services um, and I did win actually won two awards 2016 money management young achiever of the year award and the 2017 AFA, TAL, Female Financial Advisor of the Year Award. Um, And both of those were probably the highlights of my career at that stage. They were things that really represented um, goals that I'd been working towards Mm. um, and really were a big achievement for me to showcase what I'd I'd achieved but also how far I'd come, I think. Mm. So I'm guessing leading up to that, there would have been a little bit of um, preparation. Like you would have been thinking about leaving financial planning um, almost mm-hmm. before you got the last award or, you know, like, yeah, was it was it, was it that organised? It was. It was um, – it wasn't – I wasn't 100% sure of the direction I was going to take. I just started – so it sort of started about three years prior to those awards when I started studying yoga, actually. And so I had my financial planning practice uh, and then I thought I'd go and study yoga as a side hobby, had no intention of becoming a yoga teacher, but was fascinated by the practice and philosophy of yoga and the principles of it and wanted more of it in my life. So started studying that and that was a year long course. And that really took me on this journey into the concept of well-being and looking Mm. at mindfulness and meditation and wellness in a different way. And as I started into that, I then also 
like I always do, go down these rabbit holes <laughs> of all of these other concepts. And it got me into the study of psychology and then behavioural psychology. And I sort of opened up this whole war rabbit warren of, of new content, new philosophies that I thought I could start to bring into my financial coaching practice. So that was my initial intention was to combine the two. Um, but over time, I started to really develop the passion for the coaching aspect more than the advice aspect of what I was doing. Mm, okay. I just like the fact that you, you know, got things orchestrated and then and then made sure you won the award so you could just do a really a really effective <laughs> mic drop as you walked off the stage. <laughs> yeah, exit stage left or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. I'm now leaving. <laughs> I think it was um, it was very much timing. It, it wasn't intentional to leave at that stage, um, but I actually got as part of the award. I won uh, a bursary to study anything I'd like to study. So I used a portion of that to study positive psychology, mm. and then a portion of it to go to the US and study behavioral psychology uh, with the founder of the Money Coaching Institute Global over there. And when I got over there, uh, I actually developed a fantastic rapport with her, and she took me under her wing, and I ended up staying uh, sort of as an understudy with her for about a year. Uh, and then that got really got me into the the coaching aspect, and that's when I decided that it was time to leave the advice industry because I couldn't do both effectively. Mm, mm, mm. So I'm intrigued. I know, you know, I've, I sort of had this transition from mortgage broking to financial planning, and one of the things that I found um, after trying to move across was uh, that it, sometimes it's easier before you think about it or before you do it and you realise there's, there's some roadblocks or things that you hadn't quite thought through. Um, and that, you know, I guess we talk about this in the Help My Wealth modules around just not not letting these things get in the way. So um, can you share at all a little bit about maybe some of those things that you sort of went, wow, okay, this is a bit different or harder than what I thought when it was the transition mm -hmm. from financial advice to money coaching? Uh, definitely. I think there were a range of things. Uh, firstly, I left a well-established business and then had to start a new business. And whilst I, have, I had clients that I could transition across, it was effectively a very different business model. So the clients that I was servicing with my advisor hat on didn't necessarily need or want the coaching that I was providing. Mm. So it was almost like walking away from, from an established business and starting from scratch again, um, which had its pros and cons, um, but did come with many moments of what am I doing? Mm. <laughs> Why am I doing this? Um, I also felt that there was an aspect of, because it was something very new, um, I was definitely outside of my comfort zone and it was sort of relearning new new skills and, and new ways of interacting with clients when I was so familiar with ways that I've done it in the past. So sort of unlearning what I'd always done and, and relearning new skills was also quite challenging. Being in a new country for a, for a, a bit of a chunk of that, is that right? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I was also in the US, which is um, also fantastic in many ways, lots of opportunities, but very challenging because of the way that business is done. It's slightly different to how we do it here in Australia. So if it's all right, can I ask what what um, tell us about one or two possible um, you know big differences you found just with dealing with uh, I guess a US population versus an Australian population? 
I think the biggest thing, um, and, and I'll probably give you an example from when I do group coaching programs uh, here in Australia versus over in the US. And if I ask a question to the audience here in the US and, and sort of say the microphone's free, please come and share, mm. I really have to encourage, I almost have to know someone in the audience to be the first one up on stage to, to share their story or to share a comment versus in the US it is, it's scrambling to get the microphone and it's, it's almost having a container to say you've got two minutes to share and that's as much as you can share because they're a culture that loves to share mm. versus us who are a culture who doesn't really like to be the odd one out or be the first one to admit that we have a problem or that we've come through adversity or I think there's a really different mindset where the US is very much open to the coaching psychology of, of things, they're very, they've got therapists and, and different practitioners that they're working with constantly. Australia's not quite there yet. They're still getting onto this thing of, of the benefits of coaching, the benefits of having a psychologist or a therapist on your side. So I feel like that was the biggest difference for mm. me. So I guess that, that brings me up to a point. I mean, you know, coaching for me and mentoring for me is a, is a bit of a passion, a bit of a hobby. Uh, as well as what what I do on a day to day basis. So for you, um, I mean, you know, going from this role where you're a financial planner in a very uh, formalised setting, to then going into this sort of a, a mentoring, money coach, uh, goal orientated, you know, setting goals and things like that, was it a big transition for you? I think it was in some aspects. So when I was financial advising, I think my focus was more on one, I always said there's three aspects of someone's relationship with money. There's there's what you think about money or your beliefs, there's what you feel about money or your emotions, and then there's what you do with your money, your behaviours and your actions. Yes. So what I was focusing mostly on was a little bit around what they think and what they're planning, but mostly on their actions, their behaviours. Yep. But when it comes to coaching, I'm actually digging really deep into what's the emotions of your relationship with money. How do you feel about it? What are your triggers? What are your drivers? What are your motivators? That comes with it a whole mixed bag mm. of things. And and you know, the emotional side of money is, is I would say, 70 to 80% of someone's relationship with money but we don't explore it. So it comes with you don't know what you're going to get when you're coaching someone around their relationship with money because there's so many hidden blocks and fear and shame and guilt and, and things that come up in a session that we're, we're doing. Yep. And so for you, I mean, you know, um, you're mentoring and coaching other people. Do you yourself have a, have a coach or a mentor? Yeah, I absolutely have a money coach. She's based in Canada. Um, the reason I have her is, and I, what I say to my clients is, we can't see the picture when we're in the picture. Mm. And so I need someone to help me zoom out and, and gain some perspective of actually what's going on because quite often I'm so involved in it on a day-to-day. -day, I'm so caught up in it emotionally that I can't actually see the reality of what's going on. So she keeps me accountable. She stretches me when I want to stay in my comfort zone. Uh, and she challenges me when I have, you know, quite a fixed mindset on things and I, and I want to step into a growth mindset. Mm. So, and how long have you had that relationship with that coach? So I met her in my training. She was one of my fellow uh, coach trainers uh, and we formed a pretty good bond and we decided that we would be great coaches for one another. So nice. we've had that relationship for about five years now. Yeah, Hamish and I have often talked, um, uh, you know, about how we've both had mentors and, and, and coaches as well. Uh, and how good that is. And um, in regards to to help my wealth, you know, uh, we're really trying to make sure we have 
a level there where there's accountability uh, and there is that that coaching and mentoring. But um, as you know, you know, coaching and mentoring can can end up being a very um, one-on-one uh, time-based you know, sort of thing. So there's there's obviously a cost involved in that. Uh, and and sometimes you know that cost can be high if you're wanting more and more one-to-one face-to-face coaching. So you know we've helped my wealth. We're we're trying to keep that around that that couple of hours um, sort of over the over the program, so that people can actually um, get the accountability they need, but without the high cost of of coaching. Mm-hmm. Because you know for a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, that's what they're wanting. Yeah, and I, I liken it to the concept of having a personal trainer mm. to really focus your intentions and your motivations for your goals, help you really get on track with your goals. And I always think of it as it's an investment. And, and if we're really serious about what, what we want to achieve, then it's a, a, the return on that investment in terms of what you're going to get out of it is going to be well worth the time and money that you put into it. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I haven't spoken to anyone that I can think of that's done coaching or mentoring or money coaching that hasn't turned around and said this was worthwhile, do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a few people who have never done it that said, oh, I don't think it's worthwhile, uh, but not anyone that's actually been involved in, in mentoring or coaching, that's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I would say I have had clients that have probably moved away from coaching or some sort of um, being under somebody. Um, and, and I guess there's many reasons for it. Sometimes it's affordability. Sometimes it might be not a connection between the coach and the person underneath. Um, but also sometimes it's a teachability thing. And, and I guess there's also that, um, you know, interested in your thoughts here, Lee, you know, in the sense that, you know, one of the things that helps to ground you as an advisor is that you, you almost need sometimes that person over you to, to bring you into line, all right, so mm-hmm. and remind you that, you know, you, you can learn a few things as well. Um, would you agree <laughs> with that? Yeah, I would definitely. I think there's that aspect of we do need that reminder quite often and, and we can quite often forget. And I think clients need it too just to kind of bring everything into perspective, like I mentioned, mm. and, and help us prioritise. Like We have so many different decisions and things we need to do on an everyday basis and sometimes we can lose sight of what's really important. So having someone to help you bring it all back or you know, even someone that you can sort of say, this is really concerning me, I, I'm not quite sure where do I go, how do I make an informed decision, what's the next step, um, that kind of education, empowerment, confidence, building accountability that mm. a coach can provide is invaluable. But I also agree with your statement that there's a time and a place and some you have to be ready and coachable to actually to achieve the benefits that coaching can offer. Yeah. And it may be for some coaching clients that I have is through a very short period of time. It's through a period of transition or a period of just wanting to really upskill in a certain level and reach a goal. And then for others, it's just an ongoing mentorship program. Um, so it really is bespoke. It's quite different for everybody. Mm. And look, we just really appreciate you coming on board with the Help My Wealth team and actually writing our, our modules for um, goals and for goal setting. Uh, it was great to get someone of your caliber and experience to, to actually do that for us. Uh, but look, getting on to that, I wanted to ask you that question. I mean, what do you think, um, from a professional point of view, what do you think that, that people don't do to achieve their goals? What's the, what's the main thing they miss when it, when it comes to actually setting goals and achieving goals? I think, um, I think it's a few things. I think sometimes it's just starting. I think mm. often we procrastinate. Uh, we put off what we could do today till tomorrow when we think oh, I'll just 
know, rather than breaking it down into little steps, I think we wait to take those big leaps um, without realising that those small incremental, like small but significant steps, I call them, are what compound and what make it turn into huge results. So I find that that's probably often the thing is we delay starting um, because we don't feel like we're quite ready or we don't have the right information or support. Um, and then also I feel like quite often we we lack the support squad or the accountability, and that's something that I like about this program and, and what you guys are offering is, is the community around it. How do we actually create, you know, the sense that we can achieve it together? Because doing it alone can be pretty difficult and unrewarding and particularly when times get a little bit tough to stay on track. Yeah. Do you, do you find that a lot of people would agree that, um, you know, you get them in a professional setting and they set their goals and they're achievable, their targets, and they all, you know, when it's around work, uh, goal setting can be quite easy for them to do. But then when it comes to personal goals and personal finance, it, it changes a lot? Yeah, I do. Um, two aspects to that. I think sometimes we, we do it because we want to impress other people yep. and because we might get into trouble if we don't. <laughs> uh, and then the other aspect is a lot of us don't actually know what we want to work towards. Like yeah. When it comes down to it, if we ask people about what, you know, what do you actually want to achieve or what's really important to you in the future, we haven't given ourselves the time or, or space to actually write that down or think about it. So mm. then saying, let's put that into some goals can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. So as a coach, uh, Lee, you know, what, what, are, what are some of those penny drop moments or things that you've sort of gone, okay, this is great, everybody really needs to know this stuff? Mm. I think one of the things that I learned early on is that the difference between, for me, between advising and coaching specifically is that when I'm coaching someone, it's an understanding that um, ultimately they are the experts in their own life. Mm. They know what they need to do. They know the steps they need to take. They know what they really want. They know what they don't know. <laughs> so really my job is just to facilitate, give them the tools, the understanding, the awareness, the listening, the, the sounding board to help them make those steps and put it all into action. So quite often people come to me unsure and and devaluing their own sense of achievement or ability. So my job is often confidence building. Um, Mm. So a lot of coaching is confidence building um, and just then facilitation of resources to help people, tools and tips and strategies and things. Um, So that's sort of been a really important aspect for me. Um, and then also learning to listen a lot and ask the right questions because um, I think the right questions are key to uncovering the gold or the truth or mm. what's truly important. Um, and then in terms of actually from a money perspective and coaching what what some of the gold that I found there is that it really is the small things that we do on a consistent basis that make the big difference over time. So often it's not what we have but what we do with it that matters mm. and I feel that we often think that we need more to start or we need whether that's time or money or energy or skills or knowledge, but just starting where we have with the resources we do is often very powerful. Actually, Fitzgerald, I want to, I want to um, come back to two of those. So it's interesting. You so see you talked about procrastination in the beginning, all right, So, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm sure you found that um, there's, a, there's a, I guess, a connection between you know, somebody's confidence levels and their ability to actually get started. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and so, and and confidence and mental health is just such a big thing today, isn't it? Mm. You know, we're, we're obviously post COVID, we're talking about it a lot. But um, 
Um, so that would be a really interesting and, and probably a nice thing to be helping people with their confidence levels like that. But yeah, yeah. I find it really rewarding. Um, I think it's amazing to watch someone step into that confidence, which I equate with also their power with money. So when we're not confident, we give away our power to other people to manage it or make decisions for us. So it can be really rewarding for me to see someone step into that power with making their own financial decisions. They're feeling confident and empowered in their finances. Um, So that aspect is really no, I always think with coaching, there's two pieces. There's the confidence and the capability. The capability stuff is just the literacy, how to with the knowledge, the skill building. But the confidence piece is really working with someone to to help them build that inner worth, the self-worth, the the you know, that light, that spark that says you can do this. And I work a lot with archetypes, and, and we may have not have touched on this before, but one of the archetypes that really I work a lot with is, is the innocent archetype, which is this one that is just essentially needs someone to hold their hand a little bit until they've, they've learned what they need to learn, until they have the confidence and they can step forward and say, you know, thanks for your assistance. I think I've got it now. Mm. Um, we all kind of need that with money because we weren't taught it growing up. We weren't taught it in our homes. We weren't taught it at school. So a lot of us have that innocent subject, archetype. It is a very taboo subject. Um, and slowly that's shifting, but I think we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, what do you do in regards like, uh, you know, I'm thinking of someone in particular who who finds goal setting very hard. Matter of fact, it's gone from the point of being hard to the point where they actually, as soon as they hear the word goals, as soon as they hear the word someone say, hey, you should set a goal either, either professionally or personally, uh, it really mm-hmm. creates quite a, animosity inside them and, and, a, and a frustration. It's almost a... Uh, an anger inside them in regards regards to that. Uh, have you had someone mm-hmm. like that and how do you sort of work with, with people that have got to that point where goals are just something they just can't can't look at anymore? Yeah, it, I do. I have definitely. And the first thing I do when that is the case is look at to what is the reason for that? Is that because they're disconnected from that future version of themselves and what they actually want to create yeah. or they're lacking the vision about what their life wants to look like? Or is it because they've done and set goals in the past but continually failed to achieve them? So feel like, what's the point? Why do I bother? So actually getting to the mo- to the the meaning behind what what's the blocking that's sort of really important part of my role as a coach is to actually say well, what's stopping us from setting it in the first place and then actually using that as a bit of a motivation so again looking at milestones instead of big tangible goals if they're not good at sort of thinking about the future or three even a year or three years time bring it back to what some of the actions that we could take that would move us closer to what you want your life to look like rather than further away Mm. Um, so changing language can be really important too. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think today, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, what am I trying to say? The TV, the online presence, you know, this whole breaking it down into small goals, um, you know, mm-hmm. it almost feels like the world needs, is, is saying to us, um, you can do this tomorrow. You know, like, and, and taking away from that, that almost that, that hard work, that blood, sweat and tears that we've got to put into things. But by breaking the, I guess what I'm trying to say is by breaking things down into small goals, all right, it, it's actually easier to almost um, achieve them quicker, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. yeah. It um, is, yeah. Mm. 
You're right, 100%. And that's why in the goals module, we talk about outcome-based goals and behavioural-based goals. So mm. we might have an outcome that we're working towards, which is longer term, and then we have a series of behaviour-based goals that are going to get us to that outcome. And if we continually practise those behaviours, they'll move us closer to that outcome we're trying to achieve. The beautiful thing about that is it creates momentum and it's about habit-making rather than stepping towards goals it's all about what's the little habits that we can create that are beneficial for us and i, and I like that because I, I agree with you hamish like social media and and movies and, and particularly tv shows we've we've really set ourselves up in this concept that uh you know within a half an hour tv show or maybe an hour tv show we have to uh you know work out who the murderer was you know find out what happened uh, you know work out the whole plot um it all happens and then at the end, it's all nicely tied up with maybe a little bit to move forward to the next episode, you know. Mm. But but when it comes to achieving goals, that doesn't it doesn't happen in half an hour, you know. So I like how you spoke, Lee, about that idea of of setting behaviors. So it's like, okay, here's our goal. That, that might be your season, you know what I mean? But but you've got your individual episodes where you where you're you know you you're getting your behaviors in place. And that actually is, is allows you to be able to achieve that whole, you know, that whole goal over the season. Yeah, and that's a great analogy. And I think I was working with a woman this week who her goal is to buy a home in three years' time. And so she's got a, a little bit of money saved already and she's got some savings capacity, but she's sort of lacking the confidence around how is this even going to happen for me, you know, where I want to live, the prices are unreasonable. Mm. Um, I just feel like it's out of my comfort zone I just I don't think I'm going to be able to do it so part of that aspect is well let's really connect to the outcome like what what is it that you actually want to achieve because often it might be more achievable than we realize it's just because we've projected it out there to be something that's unachievable we, we use that as an excuse not to take progress so I've sent her off to do some research on well, let's look at different options. Let's get some pricing. Let's break down all of the steps to say, what are the little steps we need to take between now and buying a house? And let's just tick them off one at a time so that it doesn't feel like this momentum, huge leap between where I am now and where I want to be. But instead, it's just little stepping stones each and every month or however often it is that we meet so that she feels like she's progressing towards it. It's funny, isn't it? Because if you, if let's say, Hamish, you injure yourself in a motorbike accident. Do you know what I mean? And you've injured your leg and you, you have to go through physio and, and you have to actually learn how to rewalk again properly. It would be rare for a person to go, oh, yeah, I'm not a walker. I've decided that's it. I'm just, uh, I'm a sitter from now on. Do you know what I mean? Like, so when it comes to something like that, we actually go, no, no, we're going to achieve this goal. It doesn't matter how hard it is. I mean, you know, you see people that have had quite significant injuries and they will do the work they need to be to become a walker or a runner again you know what i mean mm. yeah then we have situations where someone has a, a financial collapse or they get into debt or, or they have a, a really bad thing happen and for some reason we do feel like we can actually go yeah i'm just not a house owner mm-hmm. you know whether it takes you two years three years eight years ten doesn't matter how long it takes you you can achieve that goal if that's what you want to achieve. But so often, Lee, do you find that every now and then you come across someone who just goes, yeah, I'm, I'm not a walker, I'm not a house owner, I'm not a, I'm not a person without debt, 
And that, that absolutely, I see it all the time. And I think that's my job to say, why, you know, why, yeah. why do you believe that? What, who's told you that or what experience has showed you that, that that's your reality because it's not unless you believe yes. it to be. Yes. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time with people exploring these belief systems and narratives that they have about what they can and can't achieve because often it is just a very uh, restrictive belief system that they've inherited or they've adopted uh, that's keeping them really nice and safe and small. Uh, and not allowing them to actually step out and, and achieve what it is they really want to do. And and often I think also what is lacking is the connection, the real motivation. So you know, if someone says to me, I want to buy a house, I say, great, why? Why do you want to buy the house? Mm. And that gets them thinking to the motivation behind it. It's not the house they want to buy. It's what the house brings to their life, the sense of freedom or security or, or success or whatever it is, achievement or stability. That's what they're actually chasing. So if I can help people understand the true motivation for their goals, that's the stickiness. So if you're talking about that analogy of the person wanting to walk again, they want their old life back. They want the freedom back. They want to be physical and able to be alive and and being able to run around. That's the true motivation. Walking again is not the motivation. So that's the conduit to what they actually really want to achieve. So the same applies with finances. Whatever it is, the goal that we're setting, that's just a mechanism to get us something else, something deeper. So that why is super important when we're setting goals because that's what's going to help you to stick with it when it gets a little bit harder, when you've got something more exciting to be doing. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit, Lee, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also just wondering whether um, is there something about money and finances that's a little bit different? So yes. what I mean by this is that it's it, there's this privacy or it's it's, it's not yeah. talked about or embarrassing. It, well, it's embarrassing or I, I don't even know. Like, I mean, you know, like if I had a car accident and I you know, was drink driving, for example, well, I'd, I'd feel pretty embarrassed for a while there as, as to that I've created that, you know. So but there, there's something about money that's just a bit different. Um, Does that come up in any of your, I guess, training or courses around just the why on that? (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's so multifaceted. Um, To begin with, uh, one is it's so highly emotional and we've tied our sense of self-worth so intrinsically Mm -hmm. with, with money. So if we have it, we feel more valuable. Typically, if we don't, we feel like we lack worth typically. Uh, And then we also assign, you know, the the amount of income we earn with our our value system and our worth. So there's a lot of um, shame around having it or not having it that is also there. But on top of that, money is also a core survival issue. So it triggers survival in us. If we don't have it and we don't have enough, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the very bottom, if we don't have enough of it, we can't have shelter or food or clothes over our back. So it triggers this, maybe I won't be able to live if I don't have enough money. So it actually triggers the survival part of our brain when we think about it. And that then makes us operate in a completely different, excuse me, a completely different thought process we're not thinking clearly when we're using it because we're operating from not the the cort- neocortex the thinking brain we're operating from from the survival brain mm. so the way we relate to money is is so intrinsically linked to stress receptors and health and and whether we're thinking straight or not and our sense of self-worth am I a good person am I a worthy person am I a good person am I a bad person if I have it if I don't have it it's very complicated 
Um, so the psychology of money and our relationship to it is actually really fascinating. And, and coming back to kind of why I left financial planning was because I got into this, this whole area of psychology and it just fascinated me. I thought, why aren't more people learning this? Why aren't we talking about it? Uh, why aren't we mastering money as a life skill <laughs> and, and realising that we can't use it for a proxy for all of these things that we're trying to use it for a proxy for in our lives? Yeah. I um I, I knew someone who who uh, rejected the concept of 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 um only trying to achieve material gain, and mm-hmm. it wasn't that money was a problem. Um, you know, they still earn money and and use money and, and all that, but they wanted to try to to not make that um something that they that they that they that the only thing they attained. And what was interesting is that um it was a struggle. It was mm-hmm. it was so ingrained in them, and it's so part of who they are, uh, or part of who we are as a society. That even someone who actually says, "No, I'm not going to do that," struggles with with concepts around: Do I have enough? Am I successful? Have I chosen the right thing? You know, am I doing the right thing? So, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's really hard to to divorce that from who we are as people, isn't it? Well, it has a social component to it. Yeah. So the problem mm-hmm. is if we don't have enough money, and our friends do have money, all right, then, well, we're almost going to have to pick a new group of friends because, mm. you know, how do we invite them over for dinner? How do we have hospitality? How do we go out with them for dinner? You know, there's a whole range of things, especially around food, that mm. is just so um, related. And then all holidays. Yeah, or... absolutely. And then it's the location. Yeah. If we choose to, um, you know, live somewhere that's more affordable then, then and all of our friends are somewhere else, then, again, it's that connection. So... You know, money and community is 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 quite highly connected, isn't it? Yeah, I, I term the same thing money and belonging. The same concept mm. is you know, if we if we do something differently with our money, then we might not belong to to our family or our friends or our community. And that's a real fear that a lot of us have as well. So that prevents us from stepping away from that paradigm or the construct that we've created with money. And if we think about how much of our daily lives we interact with money. We're either earning it, thinking about it, spending it, planning to use it, saving it, um, stressing about it. It's, we're exchanging it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're eating food that we've bought with it. We're in clothes we've bought with it. It's, mm. it's so intrinsic in our, and we're getting ads about it. We need more of it and it's fascinating. I think I don't think I need a moment. You're just giving me a little bit of anxiety just talking about it. <laughs> That's all right. I just have to say, take a deep breath. <laughs> but it's not. I think that's the thing I, I always come back to with my clients is that we forget that money is actually only valuable to this to the worth that we assign to it. So we give it the values and the power and all of those things. So if we can unwind all of that, unpick it and, uh, and sort of realise that it is only what we assign value to, um, then it could help us take that control back a little bit as well. So, I mean, look, people often equate happiness, you know, directly with regard to their financial situation and their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, have you had a lot of opportunity to actually talk to people and help them, uh, you know, break that down and tease that out? Yeah, I have. And um, I'm not someone who's, who believes that money can't facilitate 
a happier life because it can. Um, it certainly can't buy happiness, but it can facilitate things that make life easier and that often mm-hmm. creates happiness. <laughs> um, but I think also the way that I like to communicate it with people is we've, as a society, interchanged the words money and wealth and used them together when actually they're quite separate meanings so wealth is when we have an abundance of anything we truly value and that could be time money health relationships love lots of things money is going to be an element of wealth but we cannot truly consider ourselves wealthy with money alone because if we don't have health if we don't have relationships we don't have time then we we can't buy those things so money to me is an element of wealth, but it's not wealth itself. And I think if we can separate those two terms and start using them properly, then I think that helps to actually put money in its place as well. Interesting. I always need to reflect on that for a minute, but I don't think we want to create silence. So <laughs> um, look, I think what's a, what's a great thing, I mean, we all know someone, probably most of us would know someone who has, um, in, in what you're talking about, a lot of money but they don't have wealth. Mm. In the same way, we may know people that have less money, but they have that they have wealth, you know. Yeah. And I think that's going back to that whole concept of being contented, isn't it? That um, you know, if you if you are only searching for happiness, or if your if your goal is money, or your goal is wealth, or your goal is happiness, that's going to make it very hard to be contented. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, you know, if you can find what would make you content then that actually changes the thing. And, and like we've all said, it's not about that that gaining money or or, or um, creating wealth or having that as a goal is not a, a good thing. It's 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 totally good, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, you've only got to not have it for a while to realise just how important it is. Totally. I think someone once said, um, you know, people who say money's not important uh, are people who, you know, have too much of it. Uh, but so it's not about saying that it's not important, but it is. Uh, there's a difference, isn't there, between, um, as you mentioned, being wealthy in regards to what makes you content compared to just having, you know, money by itself. Mm. And I think it's very personal. So mm. if we all spend the time to actually define what makes me feel wealthy in my life, what do I need more of in my life to feel wealthy, and then how can I use this resource called money to facilitate that? How can I use it to, to give me more time? How can I use it to invest towards the thing that's going to bring me more wealth? I think that's the way that we should be looking at it and framing it and realising that what's wealthy for me is going to be very different to you, Hamish, and to you, Stephen. So yeah. that's something that I know planners and coaches do well, but I think a lot of us as individuals don't often take the time to actually think about, you know, what am I working towards and are my goals my own goals or are they someone else's? Well, look, I'm really glad to say that because that, that ties in well with, with Help My Wealth. I mean, we didn't call it Help My Money for a reason. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. so that's very much where, where we are aligned to and where we're heading to as well. Mm-hmm. So, Lay, as a money coach, what, um, what's a common myth that people think about your, your role and what are you and what aren't you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense? <laughs> yeah, there's a few. Uh Sometimes it's, oh, I only need a coach if something's wrong with my finances or if I can't manage money well. Um, And then my response to that is you see a lot of professional athletes who have coaches and that's because they want to level up and then, you know, take it to the A game. So uh, I would would debate that one quite quite quickly. Um, I guess the other thing around 
what I hear often is, you know, I do get clients that think coaches can give financial advice and they cannot. Mm. And I think mm. there's been a lot of problem with, uh, you know, influencers and Instagram people and, and people giving Absolutely. advice online. Um, a true coach will never give advice because that's not their job. That's an advisor's job. Mm. Um, a coach is there to, as I mentioned, to help get the best out of the person that they're working with who has all the answers already. So it's a very different um discussion so that's where I work very closely with advisors so that's so the moment that I identify that someone needs advice that's where they have to go and see a financial planner yeah so a follow-up question to that is what would you say to a financial advisor about how a money coach can actually support them and maybe what the advisor shouldn't be doing that you could be doing mm. well I think where where my work really shines and can and supplement what an advisor does is really work with the advisor to say, what is this client trying to achieve? Clients trying to achieve all of these things. So the coach steps in and says, how are we going to get you there? How are we going to make sure that you stay on track? How are we going to make sure that you're working 100% towards what you say you want to achieve? So I always like to think it is the advisor kind of should set the the strategy, the overall, you know, look at the map with the destination and the strategy, the pathways to get there. Mm. And then the coach is the person who kind of says, I'm going to walk beside you and we're going to make sure you get to where you're going. Um, I like them as combination. I think working in the US, you see that combination a lot. You see an advisor coach combination in practices in financial advice businesses. We're not quite seeing it here in Australia as prevalently, but I, I feel like that's only at time and we'll see that a lot as well. Yeah, true. Hmm. Well, one of the things we um, always like to ask all of our guests is uh, what would you tell your 18-year-old self if you could go back? What's one bit of advice that, well, you were telling us already that you turned 40 this week? So, you know, if you went back to your 18-year-old self, what would what would 40-year-old Lee tell, tell her? Pay attention to the power of compound interest, I yes. think. Um, <laughs> you know, I started my career in finance not shortly after sort of 18 I did my study and then mm. became was very young when I entered it, uh, financial planning and I didn't um, I didn't really listen to the advice that I was giving in terms of like, working out how true the benefits are over time and how much it can have a big impact so yes. if I'd last used the last 22 years in that manner I think I'd be a very wealthy woman right now <laughs> <laughs> It's funny the, the the concept of earning you know three and a half percent or four percent on a bank account just doesn't sound very sexy, does it? It just you know it's boring, you know, um, and especially when we're in finance, we think of shares and managed funds and all of the other things that we can be doing. And uh, and yeah, look, it is a, it is a challenge to just go back to basics and say, hey, you know. Um, and there's so many things you can do these days around it. Like, you know, you can have money taken out of every transaction in your bank account. You can have money come out of your pay. This is all these things that you could do if you wanted to. Um, yeah, and so. I think it has got easier. I think it's got a lot easier in the last 10 years even to put small, am way, small amounts away regularly. And I think that's the beautiful thing of compounding is it is those small amounts and those small amounts do matter. Mm. And we've spoken about that tonight with goal setting, but I think investing it matters too, savings it matters as well. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know for myself, uh, you know, if I could go back, that would be something I'd want to tell my HR self is that is that the the uh, magic of compounding, and you don't need to be saving ten thousand dollars for some managed fund. Uh, just putting away a small amount over a long period of time is actually more effective than um, you know w- w- wishing that you could save ten thousand mm. dollars. So mm. Lee, we always ask people, uh, what book would you write if you're going to write a book? I am writing a book. Ah. <laughs> I'm hoping to finish it by the end of the year. Uh, it's around creating a conscious relationship with money. And by that, I mean bringing your full awareness and attention to your relationship with money. So it's all things emotional, practical, uh, belief system based around money. So watch the space. It should be coming out next year. Well, maybe we'll get you back and uh, we'll have a, uh, a podcast on your new book. Mm. Amazing. I would love that. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, Lee, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for being our guest and for being part of the Help My Wealth team. We really appreciated all you did when you when you wrote that um, module on goals. Mm. And uh, we appreciate you coming and being our guest today. Mm. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you guys uh, for joining us today on the podcast. As always at Help My Wealth, we're about empowering your financial journey. Today we've done that by talking to Lee in regards to goals and and money coaching and so forth. If you have any questions or queries, please reach out to us uh, in the notes. Uh, If you want to come to the Help My Wealth and and see what we're doing and, and learn more about that, please follow the links there. And as always, like and follow our podcast. But again, we thank you for coming today and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. The information discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules, Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.